Welcome to the Heartbreak Kids Podcast, where we explore what connects us all in our yoga practice and in our lives. This is where I talk to people about their stories, who they are, what they've been through, and where they're going. And in this podcast, that's what we explore. I believe deep down inside, we're all connected, which explains why we bring ourselves to the top of our mat every day. Welcome to the Heartbreak Kids. So welcome to the next episode of the Heartbreak Kids. I'm here with Yan Ong, and I probably met her eight years ago on my first trip to Mysore, India. Maybe it was nine years ago. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but she was super nice to me. She was kind of like a tour guide um, in the beginning. We hung out some. Um, but I've got to see her uh, several times in Mysore. She runs a, pro- uh, a Mysore program, which I want her to talk about. But she's doing some big things. And honestly, like uh, as I watch your Instagram feed, I'm super kind of inspired by some of the messages that you have. So I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Yeah. So let's get into it a little bit. I just want to know, you know, because there's such a time difference. It's 930 p.m. in Columbus, Ohio, but it's 930 a.m. where you're at. Literally the other side of the world. Yeah. Other side of the world. And so where let's just start. Where are you? So I'm located in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. This is where I was born and where I run my program. Awesome. And so did you go to school there or did you, uh, you know, go out of the country to learn school or, or tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I was born here in KL. Um, I was in school here until I was about 15. And then the rest of my education was overseas. So I probably sound a bit strange. Some people say I sound like American. Some people say I sound English. So I studied in England. Then I studied also in Australia uh, and I worked everywhere. So gotcha. later, later on in my uh, mid twenties, I decided to give up all the work and the corporate life. And I went traveling. I went backpacking by myself for about two years uh, from South America to Africa. And then much later I ended up and landed in Mysore where I met you. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. When I first uh, met you, I thought you were from England, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, she's definitely from England. And then I remember telling you, or you telling me, like, where you're from. I was like, oh, wait a second. Like, I don't know. That doesn't make sense. But but it makes makes total sense now. um, What did you study when you were abroad? So I graduated in biotechnology when I was at university in England. I know I'm Wow. It's kind of like a conversation killer. My first job was marketing Viagra. That is crazy. Yeah. yeah. That normally <laughs> people have not to say, like, Viagra, huh? Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I, I, no, we know what it is in the U.S. Like, it's on every uh, every network news. Like, I feel like they yeah. have, the, the commercials come on for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't advertise it here. But, yeah, that was my first job, selling Viagra. Do they have it there? Yeah, by prescription oh, only. Yeah. So I sell it okay. not to not to the public. That would be uncomfortable, but to doctors, right. to doctors and hospitals. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, well, there's a lot of ED uh, that goes around in the US, so I'm I'm sure that's everywhere too. Everywhere. Um yeah, and so why did you feel like you wanted to get out of the corporate life? Well, I felt there was something more. I felt there was something more to life than just, I don't know, I felt repetitive. I felt a little shallow. I mean, 
as you can imagine, pharma, pharma money is big money. There's like I was earning quite a bit of money from the get go after graduating, but I it just felt like I something was missing. That's why actually why yeah. I went traveling. Um, the traveling, even though it was a crazy party time, there's lots of craziness that happened. A lot of partying during those days. Um, sure, I found that solo traveling led me to a spiritual kind of path without me seeking it, if that makes any sense. Sure, of course. I mean, you have yeah. to meet people. You have to like kind of go with the vibe of the culture. Like I, I totally get that. Yeah, I mean, I get to- that when I, when I do like little yoga, you know, workshops and stuff. You go to a city that you don't know and you end up meeting people that you don't know and traveling around, seeing the sights. I mean, I feel like it's very spiritual, actually. Exactly. And you're so much more alert and present when that happens, when you're alone traveling uh, by yourself, exactly in a place that you don't know. Yeah. And so uh, what was the most fascinating place that you traveled to? Oh, wow. Um, So many. One of the most shocking for me would be Bolivia. Really? Yeah, Bolivia. Um, How how so? You know, oof. Is this like a, a 18 rated? <laughs> yeah, 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 you can say whatever you need to say. Um, well, in Bolivia, I did this, um, you know, at that time, I was taking quite a lot of drugs, party drugs and things like that. And I found myself um, in a Bolivian prison wow. where, where they have a cocaine factory. <laughs> It's insane. Uh, it's it's probably, a spiritual experience. <laughs> no, seriously, it was a. Uh, it was really crazy. I'm gonna like. I have a dream to write a book about this experience, but it was. It was probably the craziest things I've ever seen in my life, uh, and I would never forget that. And I think a part of me also thinks that no matter what you've seen or what you've been through, you can always turn it into something that you could grow spiritually from. Even though it seems negative, um, yeah. it never really is, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. So did you actually like get arrested and go to go to like, no, no, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get arrested. Okay. I, I actually bribed my way into get going into the prison and I entered the prison through a crack in the wall, um, and met a whole bunch of people there and did blow. <laughs> like straight straight from the factory uh illegally in the prison like it was just i actually didn't know what i was doing to be honest i there was a moment that i looked up into the sky and i said i'm sorry mom this, 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 this is the last day of my life this i'm, I'm not gonna get out of here i don't know what i was doing but yeah, i saw a lot of things was it a male or female prison? It was a male prison, but get this, the prison uh, is unguarded inside. The guards are all outside the prison. It is so corrupt that you pay to, to live in the prison and the prisoners are free. They rule themselves. Wow. Have you that seen That sounds like a scary break? that yeah. sounds like a scary fucking place. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 crazy. It's uh the kids in there um and they kind of rule each other. There's no gods inside because it's too dangerous. Wow. Yeah. And most people don't enter through a prison through a crack. No. Because <laughs> it's usually not, that's like not an effective prison. 
<laughs> to have no. a track on the wall. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was wow. it was crazy. There's there's things that you know we so used to our um, you know our organized life in in countries where we're looked after. Um, well, relatively, you know, and you go somewhere where there are no rules. There are no rules. There's no no one looking out for you. It's kind of every man for himself, and it's a really different situation. Um, and yeah, it is scary. But then if you give everyone a chance to explain their story, I think everyone is just human. So I learned a lot. Like it turned my wow. life upside down and experience like that, talking to the prisoners and, you know, um, you know, hanging out with them was yeah. kind of crazy. How long were you, how long were you in there? And did you have to bribe yourself out too? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I, I just bribed my way inside. I was there the whole day and they actually said that, and in those days, they had some tourists come and stay overnight. But because I was a girl, they didn't recommend that I would do that. So they're like, you better you better leave before sundown because then we can't protect you at that point. Inside. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, and also, I mean, the fact that, you know, you were like partying in there, too. That's kind of nuts, too. Yeah. Like a bunch of doing a bunch of blow like that. I mean, that sounds like as dangerous as it gets, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, it was like I would never. That's not your typical holiday. That's for sure. Bolivia was a place that was was everything I've not seen before. But I wow. take away with me. Uh, I smile every time I think about the craziness that I went through. Wow, that that is really unbelievable. I didn't think I was going to hear that from you today. <laughs> that went that and, went different really fast. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I've heard a lot of crazy things on on the podcast for sure. Um, and so, did you spend a lot of time in like South America? Yeah, I spent one almost one year, eleven months backpacking by myself. I started in Brazil. I finished uh, up in the Amazon and uh, Galapagos, and uh, went to Africa. Went to the States, and then went to Africa after that. Wow. Yeah. And so did you, uh, you know, with the job that you had, um, mm -hmm. did, were you able to save up enough money to actually, you know, just travel for like a couple of years? Is that how long it was or how long was it? Yeah. I, so I backpacked for about two years. Um, I was, and I did it quite late. Most of the people that I met backpacking, they were pretty young, like fresh out of college. Um, by that time I was like 27. So I had saved up, um, my grandma had passed a little bit before that. And I had a little bit of money to use to go on this trip so i did um gotcha. and then after all of that there was no way i could go back the idea was to travel and go back to corporate but you know i thought no that's not gonna happen that's the last thing i want to do after seeing all the things i saw life showed itself to be much more than that so i ended up in bali trying to find a reset and that's when i decided uh ashtanga was a path i wanted to to go down seriously I was tinkering yeah, so a little bit with it, but it was then after the traveling that I decided that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it my life, but not to teach at that time. I just wanted to study it. Yeah. And how, how did you show up? I mean, even before that, yeah, I mean, you mentioned just like that you were kind of dabbling in it or whatever. Yeah. And so what, uh, like, how did you show up to your first class? Like, how was it introduced to you? So I kind of did these Ashtanga classes uh, in Malaysia where... At the time, they're not Mysore, and I didn't know what Mysore was. They were like hot, these half-led classes called the Shtanga. And then um, there was a point several, like almost two decades now, that yoga was banned in Malaysia. Um, wow. for, I didn't know that. Not for everyone, just for, well, yeah, for, for Muslims at that time. So therefore, the scene and all the yoga studios uh, 
they weren't really any. They kind of closed because there was no business. So kind of I left and I went to Bali um, to practice and to learn. And uh, at that time, that's when I discovered what I was doing was not really Ashtanga. When I went into a Mysore class, I'm like, I don't know the sequence. <laughs> this is scary. Right. I thought I was right. doing Ashtanga for like for the past two, three years, but not really. I didn't learn anything. So then I <laughs> I considered everything I did before was not really yoga until I started Mysore. Gotcha. That's when I started learning properly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's an experience that many people have. Like they think they know what it is and then all of a sudden like they're asked to do it and they're like, Oh, I can't do it. And I think that's one of the things that really separates the, you know, um, the people who are kind of just following along to the people that are actually practitioners. I think that's one aspect of it for sure. Completely. I think like a lot of, I mean, it, it's kind of ego bashing, right? You can come in and you can do, I've done yoga for 10 years and then give them a mat and, you don't know what to do. So right. two things can happen every time you enter. I mean, that's that's the whole kind of premise of Ashtanga. No, it's ego bashing. So you either come in and you go, okay, I didn't learn very much. I'm going to take this seriously now and pick pick it up from the zero. Or like, you don't want to face it. You don't want to face it. And I'm not going to do it because no, I don't want to start from ground zero. No matter where you come from in Ashtanga, you have to start from ground zero to really maximize it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like that's one of the benefits of, of learning it is that you kind of start from scratch and build up something for, for yourself or, or also, you know, as a teacher, like you're helping someone else gain that independence, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so you've, you felt like you didn't know that. I mean, it, like you probably knew the sequence, but you didn't really know the sequence, but you walk into this Mysore class and like, what was the, like the number one takeaway that you had from that class? That I didn't know crap. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know anything. Um, it was such a different experience. I remember walking in and, you know, there's a whole thing that goes on. And, and if you have no idea what to expect, I had a, walked into a Mysore class. I remember this and I sat down on my mat. Everyone was moving. I had no idea what to do. And then the teacher went, start. I was like, I, I'm waiting for my friend that asked me to come here. I don't know what you mean. And he, was, and he was like, just start. I'm like, start what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, I mean, <laughs> or I, sometimes, uh, yeah, I get the, um, I get like new people that walk in and they're like, yeah, I, I, I know this. And then yeah. you're like asking them to start and they're like, you, it's very clear that they don't know how to start. Yeah. So no, yeah. you can you can never lie to a Mysore teacher because the time <laughs> that you the time that you are teaching Mysore, you know it's so well this one style that you could never lie. You cannot lie that you've done Mysore before. You cannot lie that you mm. practice like like Ashtanga for X amount or the postures that you're practicing is impossible. You can see through everything. Yeah, you do for sure. Yeah. So um, was the first class that you walked in, uh, I mean, I'm assuming it was a success, like, you know, because you you obviously have come back, but I mean, was it a reputable teacher too? Like, yeah. was it someone who was... So the very first class, actually, I went to uh, was in KL from a visiting teacher in Singapore, James. And uh, this was, I think, the first my class, I think 2007? Yeah, seven, I think. Wow. Um, and before that, I was doing these lead classes for like three years and learning the rest of it in my bedroom floor with the David Swenson flip book. 
like in in 20 2001 i didn't get very far i got to stuff like march has and i said i don't understand what's going on here i need to get to a class so it can take you so far um and then yeah, I went to this class. I, I, everything I thought was uh, Shtanga got turned upside down. I was like, okay, I need to really learn because I've not really learned anything. And I don't like that. I don't like spending so much time doing something and figuring out I didn't really learn anything. Yeah. So that's when I decided to look for a proper authorized uh, or certified teacher to learn Shtanga with and learn it properly. Because then I, I figured out the difference. Is that where you got it in Bali? Yeah, then I, 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 said, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to just spend at least three years trying to learn a system um, properly for myself and study it like a subject. So I went to um, Bali and um, I stayed there for a year and then the course I was doing got canceled. So then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it properly, even more properly and just go to my soul. I didn't know anyone. I had no yoga friends. I just packed up my bags and went to Mysore. And I thought the three years I was going to do in Bali, I'm now going to do in Mysore. And at that yeah. time, you could stay for a long time. When I met you, we, there was no like two-month rule or anything. No, I mean, I stayed for two months. But I mean, the I think uh, Aliyah was there and he was staying for seven or something like that. Yeah. Something, cra- something crazy. It was, or it was six months. It was the like the course of a, your visa that you could get from, from the Indian government. Yeah, exactly. We were there like yeah. two months, six months, eight months for the first couple of years. And then on, um, it got a little bit more strict after that. Yeah, for sure. And so, uh, like, explain to me, you know, like you're you're in Bali, like you're learning this stuff, like, you know, you're you're diving deep into the subject. Yeah. I mean, how much how much home practice were you doing and how much like, you know, time were you actually spending with a teacher? At that time in Bali, um I think one to two months would be straight every day, all day uh, with the teacher there. And yeah. then the rest is all home practice. And then I would yeah. do visa runs back in Malaysia and try and support some MISA programs that were starting out at that time. Um, yeah. But when I went to Mysore, it was every day with, with Sharath. And so what kept you coming back, like in that beginning? I mean, were, were you intrigued? Like, did you feel like there was some sort of mental shift or perspective shift um, after all of your travels? Like, what kept you coming? I think I like the fact that it made, it was an independent style of learning. Um, and I think also that's what, that's what kind of draws me. That it's, you're taught something and you're left to figure it out on your own, like a puzzle. You know, I always figure out each asana or each posture. It's like a, it's just like a crossword puzzle. You're trying to figure stuff out uh, and explore your body through, through each puzzle you're given one after the other. Um, without anyone like talking at you, it was, it was peaceful. It was you, yourself, you know, me, myself and I, um, which was different from anything else. No one's constantly telling me what to do. And that was different. That's what drew me back every day. I'm going to go into a room and figure stuff out as opposed to I'm going to go into a room and just follow what everyone else is doing. Uh, that seems a bit boring for me. I need to be mentally stimulated. And that, yeah. it, that, that was a major difference for me. It was never boring because if you, you feel go, it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. If you go into a class and, and you, you depend so much on the person to, 
to do your practice for you, tell you what to do all the time. If that person does the same thing, you'll get bored because your attention is on that person. But if you're doing the same thing every time, there's so much to figure out. It's, it's a bit different. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you feel like, um, you know, from when you started to, you know, maybe like six months to a year into your journey, like, do you feel like there was a big shift in who, who you were? Oh, yes. I like a, almost a 180. I mean, I think the okay. essence, the essence, of course, of who we are will be the same. The personality is the same. But I grew up. I think the Ashtanga matured me a lot in life. Um, I First of all, the beginning, of course, you know, the lifestyle change from, you know, the drug-taking party girl who was just irresponsible um, and always looking for for um, entertainment, you know, never wanting to concentrate on myself, to someone that was so curious about the purpose in life um, and so much more disciplined and the vision, I don't know how to explain it, but it feels like the vision is wider. You see so much more. The perspective grew with life and people and relationships. Um, and I found because of all of that as a consequence, well, I was so much more understanding, accepting. Um, and now, now that I'm in my 40s, it's kind of solidifying to to the person that I am. So I'm learning to draw more boundaries as to what's good for me mm. um, in terms of lifestyle, people, um, and the decisions I make made me a lot stronger as a person. Now wow. that I'm seeing the 20, you know, from my 20s into my 40s now, and all this time uh, it was dedicated to the Shtanga in between. Yeah. I grew wow, up a lot faster. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. I've I've never heard anyone put it in that perspective, but that's that's there's a lot of beauty there for sure. Yeah, it's um, I mean, the physical part, yeah, it comes and goes, you know. Um, but I think the person that I I am is so different. It's so different and yeah, better. <laughs> you can't go <laughs> well, back. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of uh, describing the depth of experience of I feel like what an Ashtangi gets you know, to a certain level, there, there's this deepness, you know, like understanding who we are, you know, like figuring out our passion, our purpose, why we're here, those deeper connections, everything that you're talking about. It's like, that, that's one of the things that I feel like is, is somewhat unique to Ashtanga yoga also. So yeah, the growth that you get in Ashtanga um, is unparalleled to anything I've ever done before. It's definitely not a, it's just a physical activity, far from it. The longer you practice it, if you start going into into the depth of really understanding it, um, well, you can never really because it doesn't end. But the growth that you get from that, there's, there's nothing that, there's no system that I know has that effect on the human mind. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there for 100%. So um, you went to Mysore mm -hmm. and, you know, you have, I meet you. Was that your first trip when we met or was it your second trip? Um, it was exactly 10 years ago, my first trip this month. Okay. So and I and mine was, my first trip was 
almost nine years ago in October. Yeah. So I've been there a whole year. That's, that's probably why I was like, let me show you around. I've been here my first yeah. year. <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> yeah. And so I, you, you go there for that first year. Like, how did you know that you wanted to keep going back? And like, what was that experience like for you? Oh, um, okay. The first, when I got there, I never been to India and I didn't know what to expect. Um, so, and I didn't know anybody or what to do. So I landed, figured things out. Um, I didn't, I didn't also come from a stronger community because I didn't have a studio to, that I was practicing with. I was kind of doing a little bit here and there everywhere and on my own. So I also didn't know the deal behind the teacher and the student. I'll tell you a funny story. That first trip, when it was my birthday, my birthday's on Christmas day. Um, just before wow. I, I went to, I went to renew my card. And um, I went, I went to Sharath and I went, it's my birthday tomorrow. We're going to go have drinks at Windflower. Um, I would like to, invi- I would like to invite you. Would you like to come? Like I, this, this was basically an, an example of how I had no idea how things were done. Um, and I kind of was living in my own world. Um, thinking that it was no different from just going to the yoga studio in the city. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take it so seriously in the beginning. It's like, oh, this is the teacher. He's the guy that's teaching. Um, so it was just kind of all fun for me that first trip. Um, then the last day of my practice, and I had been there up about six months at that point. Um, wow. I wasn't sure whether I was going to come back still. But on that very last day, um, I was, when I arrived, by the way, I was only doing half primary. And so he kind of taught me the rest of primary during that six months. And on the last day, he was like, um, from three, three, I think three mats over, he went, stand up. And I kind of came down from a back bend and I was like, I don't understand what you mean. <laughs> I just stand no. up. And then I was like, I don't I can't do that. Then he goes, then he gives me these really scary looking eyes and I go back into a back bed and I was like, he must be crazy. Stand up. Whatever. And then he yelled at me and then I stood up. Um which is something I never even knew I could do. Wow. And I know this sounds so basic right now, but that moment I thought I have someone that's watching me that knows me better than I know myself, that knows what I'm capable of and not capable of better than I do. And I felt for the first time I had a teacher because I was kind of just going around, figuring things out for myself. I never knew what it felt like to have someone or my practice being looked after or being looked after generally in yoga. Um, And I thought, okay, this is it. This is the guy that's going to, he's my teacher. You know, I found a teacher. Um, so this is how it's going to go. I'm going to come back. So I packed up Bali and everything and I moved to Mysore and I stayed there straight for like five years. (laughs) I didn't know that either. Yeah. I I stayed there. I, I, then I rented a house long-term. I helped the local, um, um, man from Bangalore build his retirement home. And then I shared it with him. Um, and then I stayed there. And then when wow. when it was off season, I came home to see my family. Um, and whenever he was on tour near in the countries near my hometown, I would practice with him. 
Wow. So I dedicated those years to the learning of the practice. That's awesome. That's crazy. I didn't know you, I didn't know that you did that. I, I learned something for sure. <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot That's of months cool. at myself, like 60 by now. Wow. Uh, but, uh, so let me ask you, just to go back a little bit, you asked yeah. Sherat um, to go and get drinks with you. What, <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Um, he was very polite. He went, thank you very much for your invitation. Um, it is Christmas. It's a holiday. So I have some um, prior engagements with my family and happy birthday. So, okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that is very polite. That's a really good response, actually. I thought he was just going to say, no, I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. You know, he was like, he's probably thinking, this girl has no idea what she's doing here. Like, <laughs> oh, That's so great, though. And so when, when, did you, uh, when did you become authorized an authorized teacher? Like, tell me the story behind that. So I got authorized in uh, 2012. After two straight years of being um, in Mysore, by that time I was there for like six, ten, almost like ten to six months each each time, um, and then with him on tour in Asia. When I got authorized, I'd only had taught once. Um, I substitute for Mysore program that I really felt I wasn't ready for at the time either. Um, so when he asked me to assist right after he had authorized me, I was petrified. I was petrified. Yeah. I said, no. And he went, "That's I'm not asking you. <laughs> I, I can't assist in that room. Like, no, I don't, I don't teach. I don't have a program. I don't know. He goes, you show up tomorrow and you start assisting. I was like, no. So this went on for a little while. <laughs> wow. What year was that? Um, 2012, right after I got authorized. Um, the wow. month after, I was asked to assist. And I was wow. so not ready. I was so not ready. <laughs> yeah, it's nerve-wracking, right? It's, it's, I was petrified. I, my hands were sweaty. I, you know, I didn't want to get out of the ladies' room and into the room again. It was, you know, it was scary. But that, that was right. also something that grew me. Like it, it really pushed me into a, a very, very uncomfortable place. Um, and I cried in the first few days of assisting. I was like, oh, my God, I'm trying to help people, but I don't know how. Um, but every time I did something uncomfortable, I grew up a lot. Like who I was at the beginning of the month and who I was at the end of the month was two different people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done it a couple times, and I feel like the first time, I just remember Patabi Joyce's picture, like, you know, like staring at me from every angle. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I remember like I was assisting with Danny saw yeah. it was me and her and, and shroud in the room. And, and both of them were standing on the opposite room and there was someone who needed help with Supta Vajrasana. And this is when we like, we're first getting started, like kind of right after chanting, yeah. um, you know, the invocation and they were both pointing at me and they were like, someone at your feet needs help in Supta Vajrasana. <laughs> you do that. And I was like, I looked at the person below and I was like, all right, I guess I'll help. <laughs> <laughs> because I was, I was nervous also. Yeah. It's, you know, that we're nervous a lot in my soul. You know, nervous before a lead class, nervous before assisting. But I think that's a sign of us growing, don't doing things that we're uncomfortable with. Yeah, for sure. And so tell me a little bit about like, you know, you assisted 
but like, when did you say like that you really wanted to become a teacher, you know, because you have your own Mysore program now Mm -hmm. and you've been doing it for, for some time. And so uh, what was that evolution for you? Well, I think, um, after the assisting, I kind of thought, okay, this is something I can do. Um, I, after that was traveling to teach with, I met Manuel, I think the following year or that year, actually when I, my husband now, I met while I was assisting, um, that month. And then later on, we assisted a little bit together in the room, which is how we got to know each other. And after that, we went traveling around the world to teach for about a year or two. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, my, both my parents um, are really old. They had me at like 47, 48. So I decided it was time to come back. I'd spent a lot of time overseas with the backpacking, living in my son, Bali. It was time to come home. Um, so Manuel and I then decided to move to Malaysia to open um, the Ashtanga school here, my room, and been running it ever since. So yeah. I think it's just a natural progression. Just like with the practice, the teaching was kind of like a natural progression. I started the practice not wanting to teach you're not even thinking about that um and then when i got authorized i also was not really thinking about that and got pushed to assist and then i met mano and i was like look you come and we travel together and we taught in some amazing schools around the world um from tokyo to antwerp uh, and australia and uh, brazil and then you know at some point i thought it'd be nice to stay put because I felt also the traveling while it's really nice. If you only do that, it's not so real. And as a teacher, you don't sure. stick with someone the whole way. And that's a lot more humbling. It's easily to, it's easy to lose yourself if you only travel to teach. I think I felt that. So I wanted to stay put and Malaysia was the easiest option to do that. Yeah. It was one of the things that the reason why, I mean, I, I mean, I basically traveled, you know, without this COVID stuff, I was traveling like three weekends out of the month, Yeah, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up my like every day or I wouldn't give up on my everyday students. Like there was many times where I was like, how can I do this weekend stuff? If I'm there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or maybe even Wednesday, you know, through Sunday, you know, like these people who are in Columbus, you know, like, how do I not, how am I not going to be that teacher? And, I, and I've always made the decision, like, I'm going to keep doing both. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, because yeah, it matters. You do so much. Like I could only dream of having the energy to do all the things you do. I try to want to start a, the podcast, the writing and, you know, and a lot of things and teaching daily and traveling and teaching is just, there's so much we can do because there's so much we want to give. Yeah, for but sure. But we're limited in our energy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I have, I'm, uh, I have a little bit more energy than the next person for sure. <laughs> That's uh, great. But I, I also have a, I got a, a good team of people that help me that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, I mean, let's talk about your community a little bit. You know, yeah. like what has, you know, like from when you started. I mean, I heard you mention earlier that in Malaysia, like, you know, yoga studios were kind of going out of business and, you know, they weren't allowed for Muslims and, and stuff like that. And so now you have your own school there. 
Yeah. And so uh, how has that change in your society like impacted like what you're what you're doing? So it's interesting when we moved back, um, we were the only authorized teachers teaching um, at the time. And it was a little bit risky. So what we did when we first started was we rented a room in a hotel by the hour to grow the group. And there were days that nobody showed up. You know, yoga was just kind of growing still. So because of the couple of years before, it was not as, uh, the yoga scene was not as big as many of the countries around us. So we we played it safe. We just rented by room, by the hour, so with no overheads and sometimes zero, sometimes one. But I think also that's what made us a little bit more strong as teachers, being able to be in a room, even though no one showed up. Yeah. You know? um, if you go through that, building a group from zero, um, that is very humbling. So when numbers drop like they do now because of you know all these lockdowns and stuff like that, we're not so affected emotionally by it because we've been through that a couple of times already, starting from zero. Um, and once we grew to a group of at least 10 students, uh, which took us about a year regularly, we moved into our own space. And we've been there since. Wow. Um, we are thinking of expanding soon or opening a second one in Malaysia soon, but we'll see. We'll see things are put on hold this year um, for obvious reasons. Yeah, but that, this whole year's been on hold. It's canceled. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I have no idea what's going on anymore. Um, but the interesting thing was I we wanted to play safe. So like the little things, like um, we didn't do opening mantra for a while. Because, you know, Malaysia, um, like I said, it's still, it's still new, the whole yoga thing. So there, are, there used to be some bans on chantings if you are not in a religious um, location with a permit. So we didn't do any opening mantra for a while. And then when I felt like the group was used to the practice and how we teach and the fact that we're doing it traditionally, then I started doing um, the mantra, but I made sure for the first few years, it was kind of like just us doing it, the teachers doing it, and it's optional for them to follow along. So I did do a call and response for the first couple of years. So wow. these are the little things that um, I think it makes it a little different on how we were very careful to enter and get people used to the practice and and reintroduce yoga in its traditional form into the country. Um, I, wow. make, I make the point also to every single student that walks in to explain that the opening mantra um, is not a religious one, um, that... It is, I kind of explain it like, it's kind of like when you say grace or you thank the people uh, for the food that you've just given. It's a practice of gratitude before you start your yoga practice. And I, I always say it's just to thank all the teachers uh, who dedicated their lives so that we can do what we do. And it's good to start the morning every day with a bit of gratitude. That's all that it is. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's we're, we're a multicultural uh, country. Malaysia has um, mostly Malays who follow mm -hmm. the Islamic faith. Uh, then we have what make about, about 60, 65%. Um, then we have Chinese, uh, which is like myself. Uh, within the Chinese, they follow different um, religions from Buddhism. There's also Christianity here as well. Um, and then there is about 10% of Indians, um, who are Hindu, mostly from Tamil Nadu, because it's the closest sure. part of India to Malaysia. 
Um, so we have a lot of religions here, and um, which is great because there's diversity, but also you don't want to sort of make any confusion. You know, there's a lot of confusion sure. that yoga is a religion. So I've, at the beginning yeah, I, when we first started, I kind of had to clarify that a lot. I never, I mean, I never would have, have thought of that. So I appreciate you saying that, you know, like in the United States, we have basically what we call like the Bible belt and, you know, it's Christians who are, you know, Bible thumping that are really not into the whole chanting thing. And Ohio, where I'm from is, is somewhat part of that. Not, I wouldn't say it's definitely in the thick of it, but it tends to be way more conservative and so, like, I did the exact same thing. I, I, I said it was about gratitude and paying, paying our respects to all the people that came before us. That's why we're doing this today. And I really, uh, there was times where I couldn't chant either uh, mm. for a long time. Yeah. Really? And so, wow. it's, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting to hear that from your perspective. Yeah, it's, we find a way to, you know, I, I don't, you cannot force things on people, and it's not, it's not the way of yoga anyway. You don't, I don't believe you can force anything. I always give people an option, and I try to explain. I think the best way to grow society is to educate. Yeah, and then the for rest sure. is on the decisions. The rest, the rest on the person, the individual. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, it's awesome to hear your perspective on all of this stuff, too, because it's just like, you know, from a completely different culture than, you know, than really the people that I've been talking to. So it's it's really awesome. What do you think your biggest, like, takeaway is from, you know, Ashtanga Yoga? Like, why do you keep doing it? Why do you keep teaching it? Why do you keep going down this path? Wow, that's a big question. Um, I think once the Ashtanga sort of enters your life, it's, this is so cliche, but it's so true. It's, it's more than a practice. It's kind of something so integrated into, into everything. Um, the Ashtanga has kind of touched every part of my life, from my relationships to the days, the times I sleep, to what I eat, to how I see people, how I view life, um, what I study. And it keeps me looking at myself. Like, I mean, it's not a perfect path, but that's a, I think that's what keeps me going. The challenges that come with it keeps me curious about it. The curiosity has never stopped. Um, I, I mean, there are days, <clears throat> there are days that I, I, I have hissy fits on the mat, you know, <laughs> and I don't know. I'm like, this is so stupid. I hate yoga, you know, but it's just, it's just a, it's like a, it's like a draw to keep discovering it. And it, it's fascinating. I find the Shtanga method fascinating. Um, and the, even if there are times where you grow old with it, now that I'm learning to, I'm thinking a lot about how we age with the practice now, uh, moving forward, when we've hit this place where the body is not going to go physically more capable, what happens now? Um, but it doesn't end. And so now I'm exploring a lot about how the practice affects us into the last days of our life and the meaning of the practice, which I think will continue to mature me like it had the past 20, 20 years. It's going to continue to mature me in a different way. Um, I don't think, I don't think it'll be a practice that will ever leave me. Never. Wow. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that. 
I don't know if I answered your question well. I kind of went off on a tangent, maybe. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. No, it's great. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show and sharing your heart and soul and what Ashtanga means to you. And I appreciate, uh, you know, you sharing it all because I, I think it's important. So, and I appreciate uh, all of the help in my first journey to Mysore, uh, showing me around and, and um, I wish you best of luck on, you know, all of your future endeavors for sure. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you back in Mysore when we all can get back there again. Um, it's been so nice to hear your voice and have a chat after all this time. And thank yeah. you again for having me on your on your podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for all you're, you're doing for the Shanghai community. Huge things. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm trying. I appreciate you saying that. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. If you want more information about Ashtanga Yoga, visit ashtangayogacolumbus.com. You can also check out my website, which is taylorhuntyoga.com. See you guys next time.